Well, hi everyone. Welcome to Building Astropad. My name is Matt Rungi, and I'm here today with Mark Lambert. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. It's good to be here. I've listened to your podcast for many episodes, so I kind of feel special to be included. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Mark. Mark's been working with us on some copywriting stuff, and he's got a lot of interesting stuff to say around it. And we thought we'd talk about that today. He's been working with us on a number of landing pages at the company and just has, you know, an uh, interesting perspective at which he approaches writing and copywriting. I mean, so thought that be fun to, fun to talk about today. But before we get too much into that, I want to I start with your background, a bit about you. So yeah, can you tell us a bit about yourself, Mark? For sure. So I started off not as a copywriter, not in marketing at all, but actually more in technical writing. So a lot of reports, tons of passive voice, very non-persuasive writing, I guess I'd say. But about eight years ago, I just on impulse took this job writing about alternative fuels of all things, which I have no real background in, but I just thought it'd be interesting and I wanted to give it a try. So yeah, and from then on, I was hooked. So I kind of decided that it was time for me to move away from the kind of boring world of technical writing and find my way into this marketing writing niche. And the rest has just been an incremental process of learning more and more about it. So today, probably 100% of my work would be in the marketing niche, which I love. And I tend to specialize in startups just because I find them more fun than writing for big established yeah, companies. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I can't disagree with you there. Right, right. You get a bit more freedom. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like you said, probably, gosh, it was probably about three months ago now, maybe more started writing for you guys, started off with a blog post, and now we're working on your, your landing pages, which has been really fun. And what kind of technical writing did you originally do before you got into the kind of copywriting side of things? Yeah, so this is really, this is really weird. You may have detected that I have an accent. I'm Australian. And uh -huh. at the time, I was heavily involved in public health work in the South ah, Pacific Islands. Okay. So out in like Samoa, Tonga, other places I'm sure most of your listeners won't have heard of, like Kiribati or Niue, which are just tiny little specks of islands out in the ocean. And my focus was on tuberculosis and lung diseases. So oh, my job was, okay. yeah, yeah. So my job was basically to write grants for the, these little companies, little countries, focusing on big, big charities. So really I'm trying to sort of grab a very small and local situation and sort of tease out the big issues and present it to to donors in such a way that they're willing to to give some money for disease control. So, like I said, a lot of very passive voice writing. You you can't be too you can't be too dynamic when you're approaching the World Health Organization for money. Yeah, yeah, grant writing. That's a totally yeah totally different ball of wax right there. Yeah. When you got started with copywriting. How did you first get started with it? What were like, was it an easy transition for you? Like what kind of resources did you use to get into it? I actually, and much to my shame, I didn't really use any resources at all. I just thought to myself, oh, well, this is just writing. So I'm just going to do my best and try to sound like I know what I'm talking about and hope that I trick people into thinking that I'm <laughs> legit. <laughs> right? Which sure, in a way sure. is not a bad thing. Like no, I suppose no. we all take that stance, yeah, don't you? You've got to put a hat on and wear it, right? Yeah. Right, right. But yeah, no real technique. 
I would say. I probably thought of marketing writing as pretty much a report, but with a few more jazzy words thrown in. So yeah, I was lucky because the clients that I wrote for probably realized that I was very green about the gills and decided to throw me a bone and give me some little gentle nudges in the right direction. And I think probably the first two or three, I felt like a complete imposter, but you know, then you start to pick up on a few techniques and, you know, so I'd say probably my first few sort of articles that I wrote were pretty amateurish, all things considered. And so if you were to tell your old self, like getting started, you know, what suggestions would you make to your old self? Like, cause I'm thinking of a lot of the people that, you know, listen to this are also trying to like bootstrap their business or they're also trying to, you know, start something new and don't necessarily have a background in copywriting. But if you're, if you're trying to do something like a business online, you really have to at some level, even if you're not good at it, have to, have to do some of it if you can't hire out for it. You know, so what kind of what kind of suggestions would you make to those people or your, your older self? Like, hey, here's yeah. here's how you should get started. Well, I think this kind of taps into a bit of what we're going to talk about in terms of voice. But think about the reader. So, so like I mentioned, this first article I did was all about alternative fuels. I dived straight into the literature, right? So I tried to become an expert in alternative fuels which is exactly the direction you don't want to go in because Mm. I'm not writing to an expert. I'm writing to someone who knows only maybe a little bit less than I do. They're probably roughly similar to my knowledge level. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. See, I would have done the same thing. I would have jumped in and tried to, okay, I need to, I need to know everything about it so I can write about it. Right. It's kind of what you do as like, I'm sure as a business owner, right? Like you, you aim to become an expert in whatever niche you need to be to know about. But I think the problem there is you, you get hopelessly snarled up, right? Yeah. You've only been at this uh-huh. for a few days, so you can't see the forest for the trees. So the chances are you, you may end up reading down this obscure rabbit hole and become a complete expert in ethanol, whereas mm-hmm. what you really need to talk about is solar or something else, right? So instead of thinking about the subject matter, start by thinking about your audience and why they've actually hit the landing page that you're writing at all, what, what they want to get out of it, what sort of value they're looking for from that page and kind of back into the content from there, find out what you need to know based on what they're looking for, if that makes sense. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like fill in the gaps rather than try to become an expert in everything in that, that field. Instead, you're saying approach it from the, the person that's landed on your landing page, what they need to know and and then fill in those gaps, do research in those areas. Exactly. Because often, you know, sounding like there's this kind of continuum, right? Like there's the complete novice who is probably full of questions and maybe a bit nervous in the space. And then there's the absolute guru who's been doing it their whole life and likely use a vocab that your general reader is not even going to understand. So you kind of want to look at that continuum and decide where the level is that you're just slightly above the reader. So you're not intimidating. You're still authoritative, right? Like you've got something to say that they don't know, but you're not sort of hitting them with jargon. That's just going to make them feel stupid or offended or anything like that. Rather, you're just sort of using language that doesn't patronize them, but you know, it challenges them to learn a few new things, but doesn't completely switch them off. And you know what, that takes practice. The thing I discovered is 
the more you write in a specific space, the easier it is to sort of get a bead on the kind of language you should use. But when you start out, that's often a crapshoot. You know, often your client will come back to you and say, listen, these words you're using, they're not going to work. And hopefully your client is understanding enough that they'll, they'll do that for you without kind of <laughs> judging your ability, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that they'll work with you. That's pretty interesting. That reminds me of kind of the struggle too of like working directly on the product, like doing product development too. It can actually be a disadvantage to know too much about it. You know, it's, it's, really? it's very okay. nice to have somebody with fresh eyes because you're way too familiar with it. Like you're saying in terms of writing about something, like if you're too much of an expert, it can be hard to design the product because you know how everything works and you just don't have those fresh eyes anymore to come oh, into it sense. and be like, be like, oh, this is confusing. Like this button doesn't make any sense, right? You know too much. Yeah. Especially for the user interface. I could see that being absolutely, absolutely. a real issue. And, and then the problem is when you're close to something too, you start to see all its flaws mm. and you start to lose. You're like, is this actually any good anymore? Like we, oh, we have right. that struggle sometimes where we're working on something for like a year and we're like, gosh, I don't even know. Is this, is this like, is this any good? Like, so you, I just so you see kind all of these lose things. objectivity that, somewhere along yeah, the way. Yeah, totally. And there's, you see all these things you want to improve, right? And you just get focused on that. And then. How do you actually jump out of that then? So like, if you, if you need that fresh gaze, is it literally that you get new people to play with the product or what do you do? Yeah, that can help a lot and new people to play with it. Although the hard part there is like people don't, aren't always like totally honest with you, right? Especially if it's somebody you don't know very well, they don't want to be like, yeah, this is crap, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> people yeah, don't want absolutely. to say that to you, right? So it's hard. So what I think can actually is the most beneficial is somebody in the company that you trust, like often this is between my co-founder and me, Giovanni. And, you know, like one of us might've been really knee deep in something, just working, working away mm. at it. And the other one's a little further removed from it. And so we can go to them and be like, I don't know, is this, is this any good? You know, like am right. I crazy or is this, is this crap? And we trust each other enough that we're willing to be brutally honest with each other. And hopefully, you know, it's not as good as somebody that's totally fresh to it. Yeah. But then, as I said, the problem you run into somebody that's totally fresh is they probably don't know the company, the business, and they're probably less likely to be brutally honest with you. So that's been, that's been helpful for us where you just show something. So that reminds me a little bit of what it's like when you start working with an editor. When I started working for bigger companies, they assign you an editor. And at first I felt, oh, you know, this is kind of intrusive. I don't want them. I don't want someone else involved in how I write. But the more you get used to it, the more it's kind of like the, the relationship you're describing where you, you actually can say, all right, is this paragraph completely off base or, or are we close? And it definitely improves, like it improves how effectively you can beat in on the kind of voice you want. So yeah, I can definitely see some parallels there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what immediately came to mind when you were talking about that when our, our own, you know, journey developing products and, you know, yeah, how sometimes it isn't best to be a total expert. Sometimes you can know too much. So that's, yeah. that's definitely not what I expected you to say, but it makes a lot of sense now that we talk Interesting. about it. Yeah, it's funny because it, with Astropad, one of the big things that Savannah and I have been throwing backwards and forwards is an artist, you know, we're writing to artists, we're writing to people who have their own 
unique style and way of expression, right? And our feeling is that the last thing you want to do when, when you write for that audience is to shepherd them, like to sort of come across as someone who's trying to, to push someone into a corner to choose your product, right? That's, that's not how your typical artist thinks. So, yeah, what a, one thing we've been sort of working on is how do you write that way? Like, obviously, yeah, as a business, yeah. you're trying to sell a product. But if you sell it too hard and too direct, you, you come across as a pushy car salesman, right? Right, which absolutely we don't want to do. And probably on a landing page like ours isn't going to work at all. Yeah. Is there some sort of parallel in, in how you actually develop the product as well? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the only thing that immediately jumps out to me is is maybe just about how rigid the workflow is. But in terms of the writing, yeah, I'm but that makes, not sure if there's what you a say about the workflow makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking one thing you do do, though, is you give your users an opportunity to sort of build their own tools, right? Like they could build their own workflows with your product. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so when you're writing, trying to figure that out, how do you approach that? How do you figure out what's the writing approach you're going to use? How closely you're going to shepherd somebody in on the landing page? Like for yeah. us, you, interesting question. more hands off, but how did you come to that conclusion? I think that like, I'm sure every writer tackles this differently, but for me, I feel like there's two schools of writing. There's like the old school copywriting approach, right? Which I'm pretty sure every one of us sort of understands. It's you hit a landing page. The first paragraph is going to be something like, have you struggled to lose weight? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We understand your problem. We understand and we can fix your, your issue. And here's what you got to do. And then, you know, as you read down, you get closer and closer to a call to action. And then right at the end, there's going to be the button that you press to magically mm -hmm. lose weight, mm -hmm. right? Which I don't want to sound too negative about it because it, it does work, but it's all about psychographics, right? You need to understand your audience really well, in particular, what buttons to press. So you might sort of want to profile what, what a person is afraid of, what do they really want, what kind of language they use, and why they might be afraid of making a purchasing decision. Like they might be afraid of spending too much money or that there's a better product just around the corner, or maybe it's just the wrong time to, to, do, to make a decision. So you kind of want to understand all of that and allay fears where they're there and give people a really simple call to action at the end. So that's, I guess I could think of that as old school, yeah, this standard is old copywriting. School. And is this like the Ogilvy type old school? Yeah, yeah. Or, um, is that definitely Ogilvy is a good example. One of the more recent proponents of that one would be a guy called Jim Edwards, who wrote okay. a book called Copywriting Secrets, which is a great book. Ah, Excellent. Yeah, book. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that book before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Then there's kind of a, a newer approach, I guess I'd describe it as, which is more about placing the reader into the center of the story. So I guess the best example I could give would be, you know, like in Star Wars, instead of writing like you're Luke Skywalker, think of yourself as Yoda. So you're not the center of the story, but you're giving the hero valuable advice so that they can choose their own path to, to victory. So it sounds a bit obscure, but the idea is that instead of trying to put someone on a path, you're trying to think about 
how you actually get your ego out of the center of your writing approach and give a sort of a, a conversational path where the reader can see that the product is, is going to help them achieve their goals as the hero of the story. Does that make sense? So how would you take the example you're using before, like weight loss, which is totally, I mean, sure, everybody listening to this has seen the old school approach to copywriting with that. If you were to do it in this more philosophical approach, how would you do it? Like what would be at the top of the page? What would you, what would the content be? Because I can totally picture the old school method mm. doing it because I've seen yeah. it all over the place. But I'm having a hard time picturing like how that, how you would sell that same product with the more philosophical approach. Right. This is what they call like a story brand approach. And usually they say that the first step is to really hone in on what does this person want? Like, so say Luke Skywalker, he wants to protect the Republic and avenge his, the death of, his, of Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? So you, you just kind of get a sense of what he wants. And then from there, you would seg into, okay, so what's their problem? So who is their villain? How would you describe their main problem? Both sort of externally, so obviously in the Luke Skywalker example, we're talking about Darth Vader, but also internally. So like a fear of letting people down, not having enough skills to vanquish your opponent, all of those stuff, all of those things. And then what, say, Donald Miller would recommend, who's the guy who invented this, is that then you take a step back still and sort of think about what the philosophical problem is of your reader. So what do they believe in? And how do you sort of help them resolve that sort of underlying philosophical problem? So it's, it's more about sort of going deeper into not just understanding someone's buttons and levers, but really how they see the world and what they sort of want to overcome and, and how you can help them as a guide. Mm. Almost sounds more aspirational. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way of putting it too. Like one way I sort of tend to think about it is imagine you own a few cats, right? And you need to convince these cats to move from room A to room B. Mm -hmm. The old school approach would be, okay, so what are their favorite toys? What can I jingle in front of them to convince mm -hmm. them to move in a straight I line? I like this or, example already. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Whereas like the, the new school approach would be like, all right, chances are I'm not really going to be able to convince these cats to walk in a straight line from room A to room B. That's not how cats work. They've all got their own agenda. They're looking off in the corners. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let go of the idea that I have any real control over these cats walking in a straight line. And instead, I'm just going to not trick them, but rather accept that they own themselves and kind of let go of my agenda a bit and see if I can gently coax them in, in that direction. It's, it's definitely more gentle. It's not about sort of landing pages and calls to action. It's a bit more rambling. So often when you write in that approach for, for a client, you don't use like a single landing page or you don't use like this notion of a hierarchy of the customer journey. Instead, you kind of acknowledge that they're going to sort of make their own path to choosing to buy your stuff or not. So you try to sort of flesh out that world for them and not really tamp down too much where they're, where they're going to read next. They may even leave your site, go off and do some research and then come back. And that's cool too, you know. And 
you can probably detect I, I kind of prefer the approach because it's less manipulative, in my opinion. Yeah, it feels more realistic as well. At least maybe that's just because I'm viewing it from the, the lens of our products. But it just it feels like people don't immediately convert unless it's like I could see it working for some Google searches that are very, very specific intent, right? Like a buying yeah. intent. But other than these kind of like more informational queries, at least that's the kind of stuff I do and I'm not going to necessarily convert right away. I'm going to do research. I'm going to bounce around. I'm going to look at YouTube. I'm going to search for it. I'm going to look on Amazon. I'm going to, you know, I'm not the first thing I land on. I'm not going to convert. Yeah. And the thing is, is people don't like to feel muscled into anything, right? Like yeah, they prefer totally. to, yeah, especially now that we're surrounded with persuasive writing. Like every time you hit the internet and research a topic, you're going to find someone who's going to tell you that their product is the magical elixir. And for the most part, people are really sophisticated and they don't want any part of that. They're going to, they're going to sort of dismiss that out of hand. I think the old school still works. All of those techniques are still valid. I refer to the book all the time and, and think about those methods, but you can't let technique like that guide your writing because there's definitely this line that if you cross it, you're just going to offend people and, and get the exact opposite reaction than what you want. So maybe to me, like, you know, the older style of writing still has its place, but it's so important to have a really light touch with it and, and not take it too seriously and just think of it as techniques to dip into rather than seeing the world through that lens, if that makes sense. Yeah, this is really interesting because I never really knew until I, I talked with you about the two broad camps, the old school versus, well, what would you call this this new school? Is it philosophical? Is it story brand? Like Story brand is, is probably, usually? yeah, the, the best label for it. The story brand. Yeah. So, so, so the idea being that you're building a story rather than kind of a persuasive single path, you know, it, it's a bit more, it's a bit more fleshed out is the idea, I think. Yeah. Well, I find this really interesting because I didn't know about this story brand approach. I had, of course, run into the old school. I mean, I've got Ogilvy on advertising here on my shelf here, right? Like I'd looked at some of that stuff, but I didn't know about this story brand approach. And it's something like looking at different websites I've noticed, but I could never quite put my finger on it. Like I didn't understand it well enough to categorize it like you're talking about here. So this is pretty interesting and definitely fits like I'd say for us, like the story brand approach definitely fits way better with how we do things. And I agree. I agree. It's, it, it's just, it's definitely better for people who are very discerning as it seems like your readers are going to be, you know, like you said before, they're, they're going to be, be people who shop around and do their research. So instead of trying to sort of short circuit that process, embrace it and give people the information they need to make an informed decision, right? So what's like right now, like it sounds like the story brand approach makes a lot of sense for a lot of businesses selling stuff online. Where would you want to dip into the old school approach? Like when would you want to jump back to that? I think that the approach still has a lot going for it in the early stages. So, you know, the starting point for for this more linear style of writing is that you build an avatar. So I guess you could describe an avatar as like your typical 
buyer or buyers, right? Like it may not necessarily be one person. It might be a few categories of people. But say with Astropad, you know, there might be someone who specializes in painting who wants to use a product for that. Whereas there might be someone else who's heavily into technical drawing. So they probably have a different vocab, a different set of things that they're yeah, looking definitely. for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for those two examples, you might, you'd start in the old school approach by building an avatar for each. And that goes down to what kind of computer they use, what their office looks like, who they likely work for, even sort of perhaps some of the demographic stuff, like what their age range might be. And you'd probably also maybe jump into a few forums, like on Reddit or something, and take a look at what kind of language they'll typically use. So chances are someone who draws technical drawing is likely to use a lot more, might speak a lot more about measurements and and angles. Whereas someone who's more interested in painting like realistic landscapes, say, they're probably more likely to speak in more tactile terms. So mm-hmm. getting a bead on yeah. how they think is, is probably, you know, one thing you do in building out that avatar. I think all of that's good. And I don't think that is inherently manipulative. Just trying to sort of understand your, who your readers are makes sense. But I think, so I still think that's valid and a good place to start, right? So I would still use that old school approach, even for you guys. But the direction I'd go next would be definitely not the path of the old school, which would be be the question of, okay, so what are you afraid of now? Mm. Or what little sort of angles can I use to, to narrow down your decision? I'd probably go the opposite direction and just try to think about what, what they want and give them as much information as they need to understand your product and not really sort of try to force them down to the end of the page. They may ramble off through your website. They may ramble somewhere else. And that's not a failure from that standpoint. And I just think that works a lot better for, for most products these days, actually. Yeah, I think so too. Cause so it sounds like you really believe the old school has some good techniques in it, but it's easy to get carried away with it and uh, take it too far. You can get really technique driven. You know, there's so many little nuances and curls in the the old school approach that like when you look at people who are heavily embedded in that, like if there's a company that uses that approach exclusively, when they advertise for a writer, you can instantly tell what they're looking for because they start with all of those, all of that lingo in their advertising, which is like, we need a bucket brigade or we need, you know, we need several calls to action, one of them above the fold, so that we can get their opinion set in place as early as possible. And typically, you know, those products, often the companies that sell that way have one thing that they're trying to sell. So they're so hyper-focused on developing a way of selling that thing that they sort of get lodged in these techniques for selling that one object. Whereas I think that, you know, the, the more sort of story brand approach is, is often used by companies that either they sell a large number of products or this, the product they sell is sufficiently complicated or nuanced that there's a few different ways to think about that product. And I think that more organic approach appeals to people like that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was just thinking too, like how long has this story brand approach, you said Donald Miller invented it. How long ago was that? That's a really good question. I want to say it's sort of, it's about 10 years 
old. I need to look that okay, up. Okay, so this is really relatively recent compared to the, you know, like the old school stuff that goes back like 100 plus years. Yeah, I'm sure it had different names before, like Donald Miller gave it this very sort of branded identity. It probably would have been referred to prior to that more as like conversational copywriting. Mm, okay. Yeah, where people were sort of less interested in the pressure cell and more interested in, you know, let's just take it easy. Let's just ease back a bit. I think that's probably how people would describe it before StoryBrand became one of the one of the main ways that uh, people think of it now. So, yeah, I mean, the th- one thing that really just appeals to me about it is it's much easier to be honest with with a reader when you're not trying to push them in a in a direction, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, it, yep. it's much easier to build rapport because you don't have to be sort of standing in front of them trying to sort of urge them in one direction, which people don't like. Yeah, I don't feel like you're twisting their arms, yeah. And I feel like sort of listening to your podcast that honesty is really kind of a recurring theme of how you run Astropad too, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You talk a lot about some of the struggles you've had along the way with Apple and so forth. Yeah, we've certainly been very open and it's been a, it's really been a huge benefit to us. And I think people connect with us more when we're more honest about the ups and downs too of bootstrapping this business. And yeah, I think it's more human, more realistic, easier to connect with, easier to understand. But it's also more complicated, right? Like oh, selling certainly. a, yeah, it makes it a bit more difficult to communicate when you include all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And another thing when you say that comes to mind too is like we're not afraid to tell customers when, when it's not a good solution for what they're doing. Mm, right. okay. we're, we're not afraid to lead them in another direction. We're like, you know, actually for what you're trying to do, it's just not going to work that well. You know, like that's just not, I don't recommend you do that. Not mm. afraid to do that as well. If if somebody emails in asking, you know, to use our product in a certain way and like, yeah, you know, we really didn't build it for that. I don't, you know, rather than just like, yes, 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 of course, of course, you know, we're and trying, people respond, to, trying to find that match. Well. Yeah, I think people respond well to that too. Like when you're not trying to sell them a a square peg for their round hole, they can see that you're trustworthy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I can really see why this story brand approach fit with a lot of what we've done as a company. For somebody else that wants to get into it, where would you suggest they start? Like what's some good resources? I think that it's still good to start old school. Like I know we've kind of bagged on it slightly in this conversation. <laughs> there is so much good stuff in there. And like a lot of people stick exclusively to these this approach, but they've got a sufficiently light touch with the techniques that it doesn't have that sort of darker face. So sure. I would definitely start with, I think the book I would start with is just Copywriting Secrets by Jim Edwards. This one, I'm just looking at the date now. It's 2018, so it's quite recent. But definitely don't stop reading that kind of literature. Donald Miller's Building a Story Brand is a great resource. I use it all the time. One thing I really like about it too is they offer these online tools built around the methodology. So once you've read through the book, you can actually sign up. It's free. And you gain access to this quite neat tool that guides you through the process of building out your story brand and getting a deeper understanding of who you're writing to. And I use that all the time. I think clients, from my experience, clients really sort of embrace the simplicity of it and the candor as well. They enjoy 
they often really enjoy the process of kind of brainstorming with me to build that out. So it's a really good way to start. If you're a writer, it's a really good way to build good rapport with your clients. And I think if you own your own business, it's a refreshing way, I guess, to get a better understanding of of your customer and move away from the idea that you're, you're trying to shepherd them in one direction in a straight line. Yeah. So those, I think those two good books are a place to start. One thing I would say though, that just a great little slim volume that's good just to have on your desk is Strunk and White's On Style. It's just a really s- slim book, mm-hmm. but that good, that book is really good at sort of helping you forget about technique sometimes and just focus on good writing. Cause there's always a good place for, just say it how you'd like to say it and, and try to be as clear and frank and accurate with your language as possible. And, you know, there's a point where it's good to just let go of the techniques and focus on that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and once you've kind of got some of the basics under your belt, is there other books or resources you'd recommend to try to bring your copywriting to the next level? I think that at some point, it's definitely important to grab an SEO book. I think there's a one that I've read, I think it's called the SEO workbook, really simple title. But that one is very technically hyper-focused on how Google and how other search engines actually read your copy. And again, it can't guide your life. I, I definitely don't think a writer should start with SEO. But once you have your voice and you have some techniques down, probably the next level would be to get into this SEO stuff and kind of embrace the idea that you are going to need to think about how algorithms look at your writing as well as human readers, unfortunately, but it's the world we live in. Yeah, the world of Google. You know, another one, I haven't seen the SEO workbook you're talking about, but one resource I found to be really helpful is the Ahrefs blog. They got a ton of content on there. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great, that's a great guide. I need to go back. Yeah, and look they've at got that. so much, so much good stuff there. That's available for free. I mean, they sell a, a really nice tool too for SEO optimization, but their, their content on their blog is just amazing too. Oh, nice one. Yeah. I know they talk a lot about style and, and good writing too, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, they have great, they just do a great job all around. They also do some YouTube videos as well. I haven't watched those as much, but yeah, they do a great, great job with their SEO content. Okay, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Any other resources you can think of that you'd recommend for any aspiring copywriters or somebody that wants to learn enough to be dangerous for their, for their business? I will say that you mentioned YouTube. I spend a lot of time watching storytellers on, on YouTube. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of two that spring to mind. One is Mike O and the other no, one is Mr. Ballen. Mike. Check them out. The reason I what love them is- What was the second is, one you said? Mi- Mike o. Mr. Ballen. Uh, Mr. Ballen. M-R-B-A-L-L-E-N. So their format is really simple. They just stand in front of the camera and tell you a story. Often it's like a mystery story or a true crime or, you know, something like that. But the thing that makes them so good at what they do is they're just excellent at creating a mental picture just with words. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Ballen is amazing because he- has this weird thing where he uses hand gestures to kind of emphasize his points really specifically. Like he has these kind of this consistent language he uses with his hands, which is really just to me fascinating. But I think if you watch how he presents, he's so good at drawing someone in and he can make anything interesting. The more you listen to stuff like that, I think the easier it gets to write 
how people actually think. It gets you out of the sense that writing is this separate process from just telling a story to your friend, right? You asked right at the beginning what one thing I'd tell myself back in time. I think one of the main things I'd say is that writing isn't actually any different from a verbal conversation. You shouldn't think of writing as this different part of your brain. Get out of that mindset and think of it more as a conversation with with one reader. Even if lots of people are reading your stuff, think about that one person and imagine sitting them with, with them in Starbucks or something and just trying to have a conversation and convincing them that whatever you're talking about is interesting. That's usually the way to go with writing. That's amazing advice right there. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Think of it as a conversation that feels much more approachable. Yeah, it does. And and I think it's an antidote for all of that other technique stuff you read. Like it jolts you out of the mindset that copywriting is this highly technical process and and gets you back into thinking about your audience, which is really where it's at. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Well, if any of the listeners are interested in finding more about you, how can they reach you if they want to learn more about copywriting from you or maybe work with you as a freelancer? How should people get in touch? Oh, thank you. Yeah, they can come and check out my website at mlambertcopywriter.com and they can drop me a note on the page there. So that's mlambertcopywriter.com. mlambertcopywriter.com. I'll put it also in the show notes as well too for anybody that wants to check it out. Oh, great. Thank you for that. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on talking about copywriting today. This was totally fascinating and tons of stuff I didn't know about here. So appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. Until next time. Take care, everybody. <laughs>